Everybody, 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 drop your box. Welcome back to Drop Your Buffs. I'm Sean Ross. I am Evan Ross Katz. And we are talking Survivor 42, Episode 3, Go for the Gusto. This was kind of an explosive episode with a tribal council, with a deadlock vote, which we haven't seen in many years now, many seasons. I think like 10 seasons, maybe more. What was the last time? Second chances, maybe? With the oh, Kimmy God, vote out? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I should have looked this up, but I'm spitballing here. It's been a long time, though, and uh, I thought that that was quite exciting to see. What did you think of episode three? How are you feeling about 42, three episodes in? Feeling very good about 42. I thought it was an extremely entertaining episode with a lot of you know fun twists. And I think I was mostly what what I came to realize in this episode was despite the fact that I think that there are some really confusing elements about this season, some of which I think we'll get into, for instance, like the fact that you don't have to read the clue that you find about the three-way idol, which I was under the impression that you had to, that you could strategize around not reading it. Anyway, all of that aside, I think that if you can sort of get past the confusing twists, which sometimes in the past, I feel like I've had trouble getting past them. In this episode, I kind of just went a little smooth-brained with it. And I think that the reward of that was being able to really enjoy the episode. And despite the fact that I was confused about sort of the vote in, in the sense of like who could and who couldn't and what would happen and the advantage of going to rocks versus not going to rocks and and why so-and-so was flipping, all of that aside, I thought it was a really entertaining episode and had real stakes to it in the sense of not knowing how things would shake out. And three episodes in to have that sort of are we going to go to rock scenario, uh, I thought was really satisfying. What do you think? Yeah, I thought that that dynamic was really interesting as well. And I also feel like like I thought that episode two was really good because we didn't have so many twists. We didn't have a trip to the Shipwheel Island. And uh, there wasn't a whole lot of focus on the advantages and how they're playing into the game. Now, episode three, of course, did have a trip to Shipwheel Island, and there was a lot of talk of advantages. But I feel like they sort of struck the right balance with this episode because, you know, we didn't have to see the entire trek that Omer and Chanel went on on the island. They kind of like, I felt like they pretty smartly kept the editing of that to a minimum while giving us their decision-making process. We didn't have to like waste a lot of time there for lack of a better term. So yeah, I, I'm pretty high on this episode and honestly, I loved the discussion at tribal. I thought the stakes were high for a very early episode and I thought the discussion was fascinating and it's really made me look forward to the fallout of that next week. So yeah, I'm, I'm feeling good about this. And I'll also say that I think um, our listeners are feeling good about it because we got a lot of voice memos, which we will try to get to at the end of the episode, some really fun ones. Before we get into the recap, I want to let everybody know, in case you haven't seen already, Drop Your Buffs is on Instagram. Go follow at Drop Your Buffs Pod. Uh, not 
at Drop Your Buffs Podcast because there is a <laughs> former podcast with the same name, which seems to be defunct, which is why we settled on uh, stealing their name. And uh, which, to be fair, we stole from Survivor and we all stole from Survivor. So, uh, it, but it has caused a little confusion. You know, we've had former players tagging at Drop Your Buffs Podcast. And I'm like, don't do that. So uh, we haven't necessarily cleared up the, the confusion, but we do have a presence now at Drop Your Buffs Pod. Uh, we are hoping that that will turn into a little bit of a community. Feel free to uh, talk to each other in the comments on the posts. Uh, I'll try to uh, post as we put up new recaps so that you can kind of like provide your feedback there on what you thought of the episode and what you thought of our takes and how bad they were. Uh, happy to see that. So really excited that people seem excited about the Instagram and uh, we've got big plans. We'll also start sharing some longer uh, form clips from some of our interviews that have been previously unseen because I know lots of people uh, have requested video from those interviews. I think there might be some point in the future where we share those in their entirety in some form or another. But in the meantime, I will try to get up some uh, little teaser clips of uh, interviews in the Instagram. So uh, follow so you don't miss that sort of stuff. And with that, let's get into the recap. Uh, so we start at the Orange Taku tribe, and they seem to be one big happy family after Mariah's exit. This is kind of an interesting dynamic because they're sort of, they're almost reminding me of Yasa from last season, the Yellow Tribe from last season, because they're all more or less getting along, but even more so than Yasa, there, there doesn't seem to be any real factions in the tribe that have broken off yet. I mean, after Mariah's exit, and of course they had the exit of Jackson in episode one, so they are a tight little group now, but it's almost as though they aren't planning to go to tribal again pre-merge, because if they do, I don't know what they're going to do, because we saw like Marianne reveal her extra vote that she got uh, from her Shipwheel Island a trek in episode one. She revealed that to the entire tribe, and then they all went idol hunting together as a tribe. It seems to feels to me a little risky early on. What do you think of what's going on at Taku? I don't think much about it. I mean, the it makes sense that they're all getting along because there's only four people, and if I were one of four people on a stranded island, I would make an effort to get along with all of them because if you don't get along with one person, that's uh, going to create a pretty big rift in the overall dynamic when the numbers are that small. But I also don't find like their dynamic to be particularly like compelling as a result. So it's just like it's giving me Brady Bunch vibes and like that's great for them and that's great that they want to go idol hunting together. I'm not sure that's... Um, I'm not, I was going to say, I'm not sure it's a smart way to play the game. I actually take that back. It might very well be a, a smart way to play the game if you really can get that four, four people strong and, and go into the merge you know, with that sort of locked unit. And typically, we see final twos and occasionally final threes. We don't see a ton of final fours, not to say they have a final four. Mm. But as far as like compelling television, I don't think that there's much that they're offering other than we all like one another, which is fine. I mean, I think that this episode was very clearly about... I don't know Tribe Mape Sean, so... The Green the Tribe. tribe. Vati. Well, apparently I don't either because I spent the entire recap last week calling the Vati Tribe Vita, which I must have had Vetus on the mind or something. I don't know where I got Vita from, but also, well, hey, I'm happy to use colors. 
<laughs> okay, so because this episode was so much about the Green Tribe, I think that I saw this to me felt like an effort to sort of um, give us a little bit of like what else is going on. But the reality was this episode was really about the Green Tribe. I mean, we didn't eat Tori. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if she was in this episode. They I didn't show even... the Blue Tribe at all. Yeah, so um, I just felt like this scene was more like a due diligence than it was, you know, we particularly have something to say. Yeah, the the only thing that stuck out from for me from this was that I think we got Lindsay say, I don't know, I still don't know how I feel about Marianne. Now I know she's got this extra vote. And of course, this was before Marianne even found the idol, which she also shared with everybody. And we should talk about Marianne finding the idol because the most important thing that came out of that was that she's watched every season of Survivor except for six episodes of Token Chains. I, my jaw dropped when she said that. Like, how? It, yeah. <laughs> it's funny because I was listening to Know-It-Alls and Fishback was feeling a certain kind of way about uh, that being the season that she would duck out on. And I have to agree with him there. It's like, if you're going to choose a six episode um, arc, if you will, to, to skip out on in Survivor, the 30s are, are right there waiting for you. Um, Token Chains is an excellent season. So that's strange to me. It, do, we, do we know why? Was she dissatisfied with Token Chains? No idea. I mean, like, the only thing I could come up with is like something came up in her life that she was unable yeah, to that has finish to watching yeah. it. And or or maybe she finished watching it but didn't see the start. I don't okay, know. Do you know what we should do? Um, after this season is over, let's do, let's see if we can make this happen. But let's get Marianne on the pod and let's watch those six episodes and recap those six episodes with Marianne <laughs> and just have like Marianne's first Survivor watch. Let's finish the series with Marianne. That would be a huge exclusive. Evan, get on that as our booking Great. agent. Great, um, I'm on it. Yeah, I'm on it. I'm putting you on that. Uh, I mean, uh, but uh, hey. Marianne is Canadian. Uh, I, I can confirm that it is very difficult to watch Survivor in Canada if you miss it live. I think there was a brief period of about a year when we had it on Paramount Plus Canada. It inexplicably got pulled. I mean, seasons one to 29 got pulled from Paramount Plus. You can't find them legally in Canada. So I feel for Marianne here. I mean, she, she had a brief window to rewatch Token Sheets. I mean, she could have got the DVDs, but... Also, in fairness, if she watched all of it except for six, she clearly had access to it. So I appreciate you're looking for an excuse, <laughs> but I don't think the an accessibility qualifies given that she's seen over half the season. So. Yeah, yeah. It's surprising because she had such a big old crush on Zach, and I feel like Fishback is the prototype of Zach. I mean, it's just... Maybe, maybe she got a spoiler that he wasn't going to win, and she was like, I'm out. I can't do this. I need... I need my Steven. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> so Maryam finds the beware advantage and she opens it. Omer's there when she opens it and she finds out that her phrase is, it's another classic case of the bunny rabbit having dinner in the mailbox. At this point, they're just putting words together. And the thing is, there's something really interesting to be done with the saying phrases, but rather than the approach being, let's have them say something incredibly random, I think it should be something that like potentially creates some sort of stakes, mm. which is like, for instance, I'm spitballing here, but like, Jeff, I think I want to sit out of this challenge, you know? And that's something that's like, you have to say it, it pertains to the game, 
you obviously can't sit out. It's like give them something to say that is in world that can make that can throw yeah. people off a bit. But like the phrase is so strange. And then also I felt like not to jump ahead, but there was some strange editing happening because Marianne presented the phrase. It was incredibly strange. And then Jeff was just like moving on to today's yeah. challenge. And it's like clearly there had to have been some at the very least puzzled reactions. But I think it's just as weird for Jeff to ignore such a strange comment <laughs> than it is the actual strange comment. So in that, it just didn't feel like the needle quite got threaded on that. But um, yeah, I mean, like I like the idea of, of these phrases, but it's just not executed right. Yeah. It's almost like Jeff shouldn't be in the know about the phrases. He doesn't need to be in the know because it all happens, you know, they would get activated. I mean, he he would have to be in the know ahead of tribal that like there is an active idol. This is what it looks like so that he can confirm that there is uh, that the idol is real or not if it's played. But he doesn't have to know the phrases. And in fact, that would be far more interesting because it's like he can kind of let that slide. And we saw him let it slide with Xander so many times. It would be interesting to have Jeff kind of like have to react to something in real time to get his true reaction so that the stakes are higher if it's this random thing. But I really like the idea of making it an in-game thing where it's like, uh, if she had to say like, well, uh, I hope that we win this because I want the blue tribe decimated or something like exactly. that. Exactly, totally. And yeah. then it's also like she has to keep repeating that, yeah. which is also really fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that. Hopefully someone's listening. Okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but to the point, so there was some debate, I heard this on know-it-alls, and I saw a little bit of it on Twitter about the rules of the beware advantage, because I was able to screenshot Marianne's beware advantage, and it does indeed say in the text of the advantage, you must say the following phrase at the next immunity challenge and every immunity challenge going forward until all three phrases have been set. So the question that came up was because Daniel has this plan to convince Mike to not say his phrase from the Green Tribe uh, so that the idol doesn't get activated. And uh, he's not, so he's not saying it. And so Mike has now gone two challenges, as far as we know where he has not said the phrase. And so is that in violation of the rules? What does that mean for his idol? I suspect nothing. I think they're playing fast and loose with the rules here because it's interesting. And, but I do think that, that the rule is clear. Yeah, this is extremely messy boots. I'm surprised that production wouldn't jump in after the first one where he missed it and be like, hey, you need to say this. Like, what's the point of having rules on this parchment if a contestant can just be like, hey, I'm I'm not going to follow that. So I don't find it strange that he would try not to say it because that's an interesting strategy. I find it strange that production is just kind of like going with it because mm -hmm. that basically they're giving him a power and allowing him to break the rules and potentially, you know, um, sinking Marianne's game by allowing him mm -hmm. to not do what he's told, despite the fact that she is. So I just think it's a very strange decision on production's part. There's another big rule change with the beware advantage, which I haven't seen discussed a whole lot. And that is that if you, if, if all three are not activated by the time of the merge, the idols automatically get activated at the merge. Now in 41, if the idols were not activated before the merge, they died at the merge. So it's actually a completely different advantage. So there's really no stakes to not activating it, besides the fact that you lose your vote 
in all the pre-merge tribal councils, there are no really real stakes to not activating the idol before the merge because at the merge, it just automatically becomes active. Wait, so this is going to be an example of my brain doesn't follow this. Um, but what if the third tribe doesn't find the idol? So the, 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 the ones that are in play will become active. So then it's really not a three-way yeah. idol. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, mm -hmm. yeah, this is like a major um, just mess. Uh, I mean, Mike White rule aside, this is just there are way too many moving parts and way too many variables at play with this that between the losing of the vote and the phrases that needed to be said and the activation happening at certain junctures in the game, it and then also the fact that he's you know, he's then breaking the rules and not saying the phrase, but Marianne is saying the phrase, but Marianne's telling the rest of her tribe about it so that they know about the fact that she can't vote. There's just too many things happening mm -hmm. here and for very little return. It's mm -hmm. just, yeah. And also one other thing, and this bothered me about 41 as well, as much as I'm not pro-idol, I do miss the fact that like, you because of this uh, current setup, there's no world in which people can use idols early in the game. So I would have loved a scenario in which it's like, you know, this didn't play out. But let's say Jenny knew that things were going to go afoot. I don't I, I don't like the fact that Jenny doesn't have the option to be mm -hmm. like, I'm going to go in the woods and get an idol because there's no idol. So I do feel like it hinders a lot of the early boots because they're sort of backed in against a corner. So as much as I appreciate this eff an eff effort to sort of switch up the idol play, I do think that there's something to be said about there just being an idol that doesn't require, you know, phrases to be uttered in order to activate. Yeah, I think that the reason that they introduced the beware advantage in the first place was to respond to the fans' criticisms of the amount of idols that were in play and how often they were in play and how much it was becoming a game of luck. But I'm not sure that they've struck the balance yet of like, uh, when they're playable because now because it doesn't necessarily solve the problem of the amount of idols because all of a sudden at the merge three idols potentially become active and then you just have those in play of course in 41 it didn't almost didn't matter because they never really got played or weren't played successfully for the most part so it's interesting to see or it's interesting to imagine how they're going to switch this up in future seasons because i expect that the uh, the beware advantage is not going to continue because everybody knows how it works. And I do think that it can be improved on in some way. I just don't know how that is. I like what they did. They did this in Second Chances, and I think they might have done it in another season or two, where it was sort of like there was an uh, an added challenge to how you could obtain the idol. So it would be hidden during mm. a challenge, and you'd have to step away mid-challenge and grab it underneath something. Or there was that one instance where it was like hidden underneath the shelter, and you had to figure out how to get everyone either away from the shelter or distracted enough so you could grab it. It creates sort of an added stake to all of it without making it overly complex, which is like you found the idol... It's yours, but there's one more thing you have to do in order to secure it that could potentially blow up the fact yeah. that you have the idol. And I like that. So I, 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 I'm aligned in the sense that like I don't think this is quite working, but I agree with people that have idol fatigue, but I think that they need to, um, you know, get back onto Jeff's, get, get back in Jeff's garage and, and figure, <laughs> figure this one yeah. out. Yeah, there is a, a former season of Australian Survivor where they did something very cool, which was that they were ready to run the immunity challenge. And the host said, uh, you can run the immunity challenge, but just so you know, there's an idol right over here in this area buried in this circle. 
And if somebody wants to break off and go for it, you can. And so they had multiple people break off from completing the challenge to go get this idol. It's extremely public. Obviously, everybody would know who would get it. And you're potentially putting your tribe at risk in order to get it. So it becomes like a very dangerous thing to do. But if you feel desperate enough to need an idol, I think it's a, it's kind of a cool way to get it. Yeah, I like that a lot. Okay, so let's go over to the Vati tribe, which I called the Vita tribe so many times last episode, uh, where we're seeing that Daniel is a mess. He's a bit of a bumbling idiot. He's losing everything. He's losing his shoes. He's losing his water bottle. And he goes so far as to lose Mike's idol because he goes to Mike and he wants to read the fine print of the idol because he has all these plans for how he wants this to play out with his partner Chanel in the game. And they obviously, like we were saying, didn't want Mike to activate the idol in the hopes that they could easily take him out post-merge. But upon further inspection, Daniel finds out that in the fine print that the idols become active at the merge. And that's when I that's when I realized this rule change from 41. And so he realizes like, okay, this might not be as easy as I thought. Maybe it's not in our best interest to have the idol not activated. He's sort of like having to weigh this. But in the process, he ends up losing both the idol and some of the paperwork to the idol. And Mike's obviously furious. He has to go back. He does manage to find it. But it's just like, Daniel, not a great episode for Daniel all around. Yeah, no, Daniel is um, giving Jim Carrey and Dumb and Dumber energy. <laughs> it's like, but what's funny is about about Daniel is like he seems to want to approach the game with that Christian like sort of gameplay of like I'm thinking about every mm. possible scenario and running through everything that could happen. But it's like I don't know if like the the work that he thinks his brain is doing is really it's really a working out for him in the end. Because, you know, at the end of the day, you can have these great strategists, but simple things like remembering to gather the paperwork for the idol, things you don't necessarily think about when you think of like great gameplay, he's sort of lacking in that department. And it kind of makes me have more respect for certain players that sometimes I think I tend to devalue when I'm like, you know, just players that like keep it all together. And I don't just mean the paperwork, but like just sort of like have their shit together and and um daniel is a good argument uh in favor of of those who do yeah uh to show you the example of those who don't i was just confused by the fact that he lost the paperwork and then he realized it was in his underwear the whole like how did he not feel a thick parchment against his jaw like i i don't it's confusing the guy is a mess think about that yeah (laughs) Okay, let's go to the immunity challenge where Marianne says her phrase, as you said, uh, don't know that it landed so great, but there seems to have been no consequences from it. For the challenge, the players have to retrieve a ladder from the ocean floor and then use it to retrieve a key, which is uh, still like in the water portion of the challenge and then bring it to shore to retrieve another key, and then they have to toss sandbags onto platforms. This is almost the exact same challenge they ran in 41 for the same reward, which was for some fruit and some tools. Uh, Although ultimately, Taku who wins gets to somehow choose that they get the fruit or the fishing gear, which they missed out on in the previous challenge. Like that was confusing to me that they got a choice, Uh, but okay, whatever. 
But uh, essentially what happens in this challenge is that Survivor seems to have forgotten to check the weather that day. And there is a really, really rough waters to the point where people seem to like Marianne seemed to be swimming backwards. Like the, it, she could not fight against the tide. And for uh, the Orange Tribe Taku, Jonathan essentially like completes the challenge by himself, dragging his entire tribe through the whole thing. And they pretty easily come in first place while the other two tribes are still in the water portion. And they're struggling so hard that uh, it, it does become a little bit scary. But Jeff calls off the challenge momentarily. He asks the uh, green tribe and the blue tribe to come to shore and basically says the water portion is done. We're sending out the interns to collect the water keys for you, and we will restart from this point. I have a lot of feelings about this. Evan, what was your reaction? I guess I'm wondering, uh, first of all, poor planning by production, because I'm no master of the water, but I think you could probably get a sense that there were going to be choppy waters that morning. And I also was confused why they couldn't just wait it out because again, not a water expert over here, but I'm pretty sure that like if given some weight that the, the water would calm down a bit. I think that what was unfortunate is that they were able to have Jonathan and his tribe succeed in the challenge because it presented it to us as the viewer that this is possible to complete. If all three couldn't do it, I think it would have been like, okay, like clearly there's an element at play that we did not anticipate but because they had Jonathan completed, it it sort of felt like, well, they could do it. Why can't everybody else? And I have no doubt they probably could not. But yeah, being that we've never seen anything like it before, it ended up being less Mother Nature for me and more production being poor planners. Yeah, I think there's a couple things going on here, which is one that they didn't cast anybody athletic outside of Jonathan. I mean, Drea is a personal trainer. She's athletic, but she doesn't have the muscle mass that Jonathan has, uh, which I love to see on Jonathan. I think Jonathan's getting hotter and hotter every episode for me. No, you're making sure. a face. Look, I know he's got white dreads, but there's something about the guy that I just want his forearms Whatever. Uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, it's like the one tribe did complete it. Yes, they had Jonathan, but it's like if I'm going to hear and I'm not suggesting that anybody put be put in grave danger. But if I'm going to hear that this is the most dangerous and difficult version of the game of all time and Jeff's just going to call off a portion of the challenge, like it doesn't add up. The two things do not work in sync. And I don't think that they can coexist because we're if it felt like babying to me. I know it was very difficult. I know it was very difficult, but we've seen many difficult challenges in the past. People have gotten injured. People have gotten medevaced. And I'm not wanting to see anybody drown and get medevaced in Survivor 42, but it felt like a little bit of an easy way out. It did, and also, and again, I don't have a workaround for this, so I, I realize I'm complaining about a thing without presenting a solution, but like in the game of Survivor, at its sort of design, it's all about sort of like how you adjust to the elements. And so the idea that they come in and they're just like, mm, let's just cancel this part of the challenge and move on, it's like that's not 
that's not working with the elements, right? So it's like, I feel like they needed to, obviously the challenge as it had been designed was not working given given what was going on, sure. But I felt like the adjustment of just being like, let's move past this, it sort of, it reminded me of the thing with Heather in season 41, where it was like, she couldn't do a single thing, but they were like, that's fine because you tried. And it's like, I'm not sure that's the lesson here. To me, the lesson is we're going to sit on the beach and wait it out until the water smooths over so that we can continue, right? It's like you, in life, it's like, if at first you can't succeed, I believe you have to try again. And this is more like, if at first you don't succeed, mm, call in the intern and they'll bring you to the beach and you can move mm-hmm. on to the second phase of the challenge. I'm not sure that's the the I'm not sure that's the lesson Survivor wants to put out, and I'm not sure that's the ethos of the show by conception. So that's what I had issue with. And then, and then, for Jeff to call out Jonathan's performance in the challenge as one of the best of all time, first of all, you know how I feel about superlatives, but also it wasn't a particularly like, it, it, it literally was just due to his muscle mass. And it wasn't even like him being particularly strong he was taking people in water and corralling them just because he's a big guy and was able to do that to make it seem like he this was some incredible feat it's like we've seen people do so many more incredible things i'm thinking about all the times oh who was the woman that when they add all of the weights to the side Mm -hmm. um and oh there was some woman uh who fucking killed it in that challenge. And like, it was incredible to watch. They kept adding more weight. I'm sorry for forgetting your name um, and what season, blah, blah, blah. But I'm just saying it's like, this was not all that and more. And I don't like the idea of like rewarding people based off of their genetics. And I know obviously he goes to the gym and whatnot, but it's like he was being rewarded for something that really was just the casting, you know, like they cast mm-hmm. someone and and he did. And, and, and so I don't know, it just sort of bothered me. It was again, felt like this favoritism towards men in a way, but also sort of this favoritism towards athleticism. But I do want to say, I do think we need to separate out because you mentioned Drea when I think that we, and not just you and I, a lot of people are using the term athleticism or the lack of when describing this season. And I think what we really mean is sort of, it's just, it's a less physically dominant cast than we're used to seeing. We're not trying to say these people are not athletic. They they are, and there are many among them. I think it's just different by comparison to we usually get much more um uh, much more like uh, uh, see I'm even fumbling my words here I don't know but it's like they're not not athletic do you know what I mean yeah I hear you I hear you and I do think like Jonathan's athleticism really has to do with the fact that he has very big muscles yeah so and, I, like and I don't know that great. he's like a, 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 a marathon runner I don't know that he could beat somebody in a race but he's strong and he could work against those waves because of his size yeah which is great, and it's it's more like, to me, it's like, that's a fact than it is something worthy of praise. Right, yeah, yeah. But I do like to look at him. So you say. <laughs> I don't know, I just, there's so, there's just not, I, I there is like a gentle giant quality to Jonathan, yeah. without question, but I feel like we've, you know, let's actually... Let's explore this at some point in a full episode, but I would love to unpack sort of the gentle giants of Survivor because I do think there are better examples of people that I wrote off as just being like he-men and that ended up having a lot more to offer. Well, like I said before, I do really think that Jonathan reminds me very much of the mayor of Slamtown from David versus Goliath, who I was ready to just loathe the whole concept of this wrestler and he's huge and he's like 
playing up the Goliath aspect of the season. And then he turned out to be like very sensible, smart in the game. He has this unlikely alliance with Christian. I just thought like I really came around to him and I feel like Jonathan has that potential. I'm also severely concerned that Jonathan will turn out to be problematic. And uh, <laughs> I'm prepared for that. But uh, for now, I'm just going to enjoy it. Uh, the other thing is, I think that they couldn't wait out the weather in this challenge because they had so much other shit to do that day. And it's a little bit of like, it's sad because Survivor used to sort of go with the flow. And if they needed to film for 18 hours straight, they would do that. But nowadays, they don't. They sort of have a very strict schedule of when the challenge is going to end, when they're going to go to Shipwheel Island, when they're going to do their strategy, and then when they're going to go to Tribal. And so if they waited this out, because all those things had to happen in one day, they probably wouldn't have the time to go to Shipwheel Island, because Chanel has to get back to camp in order to strategize and then go to tribal and so i mean it would have been interesting to see in sort of like i think in an earlier season they might have waited it out or sort of like uh, there's nothing saying that the tribe can't come back to shore and catch their breath and go back out i mean like right so uh, it would be interesting to see that happen and then uh and then just have them go back and have very minimal strategy time or go straight to tribal right like i, I kind of miss those days uh, but that is not what we got. Jeff? I also just would love to know how heavy that ladder was yeah. because there's a part of me that just thinks it just really can't be that heavy. And I felt like they loved that underwater shot of Jonathan with the ladder moving, but it's like things weigh less underwater. I'm no scientist, but I know that. And I just, I can't imagine that it was that heavy. I'm not saying it wasn't heavy, but I just, I, I don't know. I got questions. Well, hey, I saw a viral tweet of Angelina carrying that ladder all by herself Hello. on David vs. Life. And they said, you know, she could have completed the challenge. And also it's just like, I don't know. And this maybe I can't help but like think about the fact that it just like perpetuates this idea on Survivor of like the big man coming along and like saving the women, grabbing them and like pulling yeah. them to shore. And it's just like I I understand that's you know Survivor can't control. That's the fact that this that's how this challenge played out. But I'm just kind of sick of it. Mm -hmm. I would have loved Marianne with the ladder <laughs> grabbing Jonathan and being like, "Let me help you out, buddy." Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so Jeff tells Taku that they have to send two people on a journey. Uh, he doesn't say to Shipwheel Island, but I think we all know that's where they're going. And they choose to send Chanel from the Green Tribe and Omer from their own tribe. And so let's talk about Shipwheel Island before we get into the strategy of the vote, because Omer and Chanel agree that they should make a decision that could allow both of them to leave with an advantage, which, uh, like again, I think... Coming back to some of our complaints of episode one, we never saw what the tribes learned about Shipwheel Island because we never saw the fallout of when uh, the women came back from Shipwheel Island and the stories that they told. It seems like it's sort of unfolded that Jenny uh, explained the situation to her tribe, her green tribe. It seems like Marianne would have explained the situation to the orange tribe. So they should know what they're getting into, and yet they don't quite know what they're getting into because 
not everybody can leave with an advantage. So the idea that they could is is already false. And it doesn't seem like they discussed any alternatives to that because what we have here is like a big miscommunication, which results in both Omer and Schnell losing their votes because both of them risk. And you can kind of see how they made their decisions because I think from Omer's point of view, he assumed Chanel would never risk her vote having to go to tribal council with such a small uh, uh, number of people in, in her tribe. I mean, they have six people, but you know, it's still that that's small for survivor. And I don't think you want to go into that losing a vote. So he would have assumed she'd protect and it's his opportunity to gain an extra vote. But on the flip side, Chanel assumes Omer wouldn't put her in jeopardy, which I think is a bad assumption to make uh, because he doesn't know her. He just met her for the first time. And so uh, both of them end up risking their vote, assuming the other will protect. And of course, both uh, will lose their votes at the next tribals that they attend. I guess I didn't understand why it was two people yeah. instead of three yeah. going. That just remains really confusing. And then also giving them, the, giving the one tribe the option of sending someone from their own tribe or someone from another tribe. To me, again, this speaks to what you were saying about our lack of understanding of what the players know of Shipwheel Island mm. makes it so we don't know what their understanding of the strategy would be as to who to send. Yeah. There is, I mean, there is precedent for just two people because they did that many times in 41. I think Deshaun and Evie were a twosome that went and then very famously Liana and Shan where they bonded and created their alliance together. Um, so it d- did happen in 41, but it doesn't necessarily make sense. I don't, I don't know why that makes sense to happen, but unless they just like don't want, I was going to say they don't want too many advantages floating out there, but I think that ship has sailed. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so let's go see what's going on at the Vati tribe uh, as they're strategizing pre-tribal. Mike and Jenny are targeting Lydia, and High and Lydia are targeting Jenny. But Daniel is playing both sides, and privately he admits that he wants Lydia to go home, but because of Mike's lost vote, he's counting on Chanel to be the third number to ensure that that can actually happen. And then so Chanel returns from Shipwheel Island, and... Daniel manages to intercept her right as she's getting off the boat. And she basically, uh, he tells her what's going on. And Chanel tells him, well, hey, I might not have a vote, so we could have a problem here. And so Chanel's idea is to split the vote. So she wants to basically trick High and Lydia into splitting their votes by telling them that the Guys are going to vote for Mike and the girls are going to vote for Jenny because maybe one of them has an idol. And it's interesting, like, I feel like there's a kernel of good strategy here, but it's like they didn't push it far enough because remember, both Chanel and Daniel know that Mike has the beware advantage. Of course, they know that Jenny went to Shipwheel Island. I feel like they could have used this information in some way to say, we know they have an idol and it could be played for either of them. Therefore, we have to split the votes. Like it could have been more convincing. They could have even used language from the Beware Advantage and suggested that the idol is active. Um, I, I just feel like there was a lot more they could have done with this because when we actually see Chanel go to High and Lydia and explain this, High is just like, this doesn't make sense and it seems to be coming out of nowhere. 
So I, I don't know. I feel like this whole strategy session and tribal, it just doesn't look great on Chanel and, and the Shipwheel Island. Like, I just feel like Chanel made a few blunders here in this episode. Oh, without question. Yeah. And all for an extra vote. Like, it wasn't even for an idol or yeah. like something that's like, okay, I understand the big risk that, you know, would be taken here, but all, all for one vote. And also, she was not in a position where she needed an extra vote. I mean, yeah. until, you know, leading up to that tribal, Chanel was in a really great position. She was the fulcrum between these two. Uh, she there were two set pairs that were you know at each other at each other's throats that needed her vote that were both vying for her vote. No one was coming for her, and between her and Daniel, Daniel is far more the one to be targeted as a threat because he's just a little bit more out there and sort of could be seen as, seen as scheming than I think she could. So for her to make this decision already was I thought strange, and then given her place in the game, even stranger. So. Yeah, not a great night for Chanel. And then also between how she handled herself coming back from Shipwheel and then handled herself at Tribal, she didn't do herself any favors by way of keeping it together or keeping her secrets maintained because it just was like, she looked like something was up from the moment she got off that boat. Like she yeah. was nervous and it was like, I almost got the sense that she second guessed her own decision after she'd made it. Yeah. And the whole time she knew that Mike lost his right. vote, right? So, be, and and I don't think that Mike knows that she knows because Daniel was sort of Mike's confidant on that. I, if I'm not mistaken, I think that Daniel told Chanel in private about the beware advantage. And so they had this information to work with. She had the information that Mike didn't have a vote and yet she wanted to vote with him at that night's tribal and still risked her vote and it really bit her in the ass i think and on top of all that they give her this confessional ahead of tribal where she says you know i might not even have a vote but i'm still directing this vote and i just feel like given the outcome of the vote that was a big dodo moment for chanel Uh, they didn't have to put it in there and they did and so i feel like they set her up I mean, she set herself up, but like they set her up with the edit. Yeah, yeah. They were like, <laughs> let's make sure we, <laughs> we drive this home. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's go to tribal council then. We see uh, Chanel signal to Daniel at some point to vote for Lydia during the tribal discussion. Um, Daniel also, I think, really overplayed his hand during the discussion because he's talking about how he's never going to win 42 because he's so paranoid and such a mess. And Jeff asks him, well, who calms you down? And his answer is Mike Chanel and my mom. Like, hello, you're tr- we're trying to trick people here. Right. It's just don't bring your mother baffling. Yeah. yeah, don't bring your mother into this. <laughs> yeah, no, very, very strange. And also it's like, it, you want to think, okay, well, maybe he was saying that as like a strategic mislead, but he wasn't. No. He was just answering the question. Those are the people that calm him. Yeah. Very, very strange behavior. I have to wonder though, like, it seems like they got so lucky with this 222 of it all. And I just do wonder if there's a little, if like they were, if that really was how things shook out or there was the realization from someone like Mike and Chanel that like they could easily go over and shake things up with a, and make it. I, I, but then again, then, then you run the risk of a 3-3. I don't know. It just, I guess, hey, maybe this is just a great season in that sense. But it's like they really did get lucky with the shakeout of this tribe and that you really do mm-hmm. get a sense of like, 
you do get a sense of why the two strong pairs, when I say strong pairs, I mean the two that seem really bonded between Lydia and Hi and Mike and Jenny, you understand why both of those pairs are working with one another. Um, and that doesn't always, that's not always the case. It's like, it makes sense. And also it feels a little bit like the youngs and the olds here. And I like that dynamic. And I understood, like it made sense to me by why Hi would want to stay loyal with Lydia. Yeah. So it's time to vote. And of course, Mike and Chanel cannot cast votes. It it did feel like Chanel had a pretty good sense that she might be losing her vote, which then makes her Shipwheel Island decision even more confusing because she really wasn't counting on having a vote. And and with that, like didn't necessarily push things as far as she needed to, obviously. So uh, of course the votes come out, two votes, uh, Lydia, two votes, Jenny, no votes left, and Hi is confused. And so they re-vote. Of course, Jenny and Lydia cannot vote because they can only vote for each other. So only two people are casting votes on the re-vote. And it is another tie. So we obviously have High voting for Jenny and Daniel voting for Lydia. And High looks Jeff dead ass in the eyes and says, where are the votes? And Jeff is like almost acting like Jeff seems a little perturbed by this because he is a little sassy and he's like, I'll get to it. Like, I almost feel like this moment snuck up on Jeff. Like, he didn't think this was possible and wasn't prepared to explain the situation. And, of course, we have, like, some complicated rule scenarios here that come into play. Because, uh, as we know, with a tie vote, we go to a discussion and uh, they have to come to a unanimous decision on who they want to leave. And if they cannot come to that decision unanimously, then they have to draw rocks, anybody who did not receive a vote or is not safe because of an idol. So those are our options. However, Jeff then says, well, some of you uh, actually didn't vote and we weren't planning on revealing this, but because you guys couldn't vote somebody out, now we have to reveal it. So who didn't vote? And so then... Chanel and Mike have to put up their hands and identify themselves as having lost a vote for whatever reason they might have lost a vote. So they're basically exposing themselves. It's like another way for it's interesting because Mike didn't want to say his phrase at the immunity challenges because it would become it could become public that he has this idol and he wanted to be sure that it was going to be activated. But here, given this bizarre situation, Jeff is basically just outing him to his entire tribe as having something right. that caused him to lose his vote. I just think that having to identify the people was kind of fucked up. And I don't think that they really thought that out well enough. No, they didn't. But also, they there was no way around it in order for the what ended up playing out to play out. So I understood it felt like necessity but to your point it's like but they could have run the scenario on jeff's whiteboard in the garage ahead of mm -hmm. time and been like this is something that could happen what can we do to counteract this well uh, like in my opinion i think that when it comes down to potentially having to pull rocks uh i don't know i could talk myself out of this too but i just feel like mike and chanel should have had a say and I know they could participate in the discussion, but I do think that they should have been part of the unanimous decision. Even though they lost their vote, it's not a vote. Look, they're not voting at this point. They're coming to a decision given 
you know, extenuating circumstances, I feel like I feel like maybe they took the vote loss a little too far here. I just don't know that it fully makes sense. I mean, it created for a fascinating dynamic where High and Daniel are just having to sort of go head to head and see which one is willing to pull the trigger. And that played out beautifully. But I do think that I think fundamentally to completely lose your fate altogether in the game is a little bit too extreme for trying to get an extra vote. Yeah. You know, in Chanel's case. So anyways, as this plays out, I think that uh, High comes out as the clear winner here. I mean, obviously he does get his target, Jenny, sent home and keeps his ally, Lydia, in the game. But I mean, the way that that plays out is so interesting because Daniel basically blows up his entire game and Chanel's entire game by trying trying to pin his entire decision to vote for Lydia on Chanel because, of course, Daniel had been playing both sides the entire day. And so he's trying to say, well, uh, well, Chanel, what, what do you want me to do? Because I'm only voting for Lydia because you told me to vote for Lydia. And Chanel's like, I mean, both of them played this badly, but Chanel's like, I never told you to vote for Lydia, which is like patently not true. I mean, she told right. him to vote for Lydia in tribal council. She told him at the beach. Uh, so both of them kind of just like. Which it's like the correct answer is just like we as a collective decided to vote for Lydia. It's like yes. you don't need to deny culpability in it. You just need to say that like, yes, I chose Lydia as did you as well. This was something yes. that we came up with together as a pair in this game who is working together. Yeah. So if you're going to throw me under the bus, you need to throw yourself in that bus, that in that same bus as well. Yeah. And it could have been pitched as or like. wait, you need to throw me under <laughs> the bus as well. Excuse it could me. have been pitched as like, well, Chanel, Daniel, Mike, and Jen. Jenny, we're a four and we want right. Lydia out. Like, I'm sorry. But then that puts High in a really bad position where it's better for High to go to rocks. But I thought right. what was great was uh, that High very quickly said, I'm willing to go to rocks for this. And Daniel very early on said, I'm not willing to go to rocks for this. And so it just very clearly signaled that Daniel can be moved. Daniel is movable in this conversation and High is not. I think High got the higher ground here and was able to just play this out so that uh, he wore Daniel down and Daniel just wouldn't choose rocks. And I think whether High would have or not, I think he bluffed it very well if he didn't, uh, if he wasn't willing to actually go to rocks. And I just thought that he played this excellently and eventually uh, convinced Daniel to switch his vote and sort of also solidified some kind of an alliance with Daniel between himself, Daniel and Lydia, uh, whether or not they carry that through I, I, is a great question. I don't know who would want to work with Daniel after this performance at tribal, but I, I just thought it was played very, very well by high. I thought it was played well by high, but I also feel like he just sort of did the inevitable thing because if let's say he wasn't bluffing and he was willing to go to rocks. It makes sense that he would go to rocks because at that point it's there's it's yes, he's putting himself at risk in that scenario, but there's also a 75% chance that someone that he's not working with goes home and he gets to keep his ally Lydia. So yes, it's a, it's, you know, there's a 25% chance he could go home based off of that. But mathematically, I still think it would be, uh, it would, it would be behoove of him to go to the rocks. So I think he was in a, 
good position in that sense, which is a reminder too that sometimes being at the bottom is the best place to be in Survivor because you really have the most room to sort of wiggle. And I feel like that was proven with High tonight where it's he was seemingly in a bad position. Going into this, it was a 4-2 and very quickly emerged as the most dominant person in the tribal. Yeah, and, and I guess what you're saying is he had nothing to lose, right? Because right. if he moves on this and sends his closest ally out, then that alliance of Daniel, Jenny, Mike, and Chanel gets to remain intact, and that only leaves high on the outs, ready to be picked off at the next tribal. Right. So, And he really has yeah. no wiggle room in that sense, because you're really in a 4-1 four, four scenario. So it's not even like, oh, well, I could go and buddy up with so-and-so. Because even if he were to make inroads with Daniel or Chanel... As he would need he needs two votes at that point for anything to happen. So yeah. and then for all you know too, it's like what happens if Mike's idol you know wake wakes up and you know. So there's just yeah. I think High made a good decision, but also I don't think it was like the most. I don't th- I wouldn't give him too much strategic credit on that because I feel like he made the inevitable decision, but but played it well. Yeah, I think the 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 strategy was obvious. I mean, it was what it was, but I think the way that he got there was quite masterful the way he played Daniel and and that it forced Daniel I mean maybe um, I don't know how much credit he should get because he's playing against literally one of the biggest idiots we've seen on Survivor but (laughs) but Daniel just really blew up his game there and uh, uh, so I think High just comes out looking great and uh, if I was like say Chanel hey I would want to work with High after that because oh yeah yeah, so I think he he could have gained some allies in that uh, situation. And unfortunately, all of this means that we lose Jenny, who I really, really liked. I mean, we didn't get a ton of content from her, but I just thought she had like a great personality and a sort of like a great presence in the camp that we don't often see. Like, uh, she's not an older woman, but you know, like she's she's not a young kid and she's she's mature and she's smart and she's... I don't know, she just seems sensible, and I just feel like we don't see people like Jenny a whole lot on the show. I totally agree. I honestly feel like there's some players that, to me, are just sort of, like, ageless. Like, Kathy from Marquesas comes to mind as someone who, like, yes, she was an older woman, but it's just not how I ever Mm -hmm. viewed her. It was just, she was just Kathy. And Jenny had that same quality, too, where it's just like, yes, she was more on the older side, but I just kind of viewed her, she was just Jenny. And I I sort of love those players that, I don't know what it is that, that, I don't know if that's me or them or or how that works, but there's just some players who who I distinctly see their age at every juncture like mike for instance is someone who i'll I'll, Mm -hmm. and granted he made his age clear but like i'll always see him as that sort of like older guy but jenny uh was sort of an an in-betweener and just i would have been curious to see her being able to perform in more challenges because it was clear that she was very strategic and and her and her work life sort of had a lot of benefits in, in terms of how she could use that in the game so, you know, we got that triangle moment from her in episode one, but I would have loved to see Jenny in challenges more. I think that that's something that we're really missing out on now. Yeah. Okay, let's get to some voice memos. Hi, Sean and Evan. This is Joe from New Jersey. One of my favorite underrated Survivor hotties is John Kay from Vanuatu, the mechanical bull operator. I was devastated by the results of this tribal. I was really rooting for Jenny. And I was surprised that it didn't devolve into a live tribal situation with everyone standing up and whispering just because of the number of people who voted and the revote. And I was curious what you thought of how the persuasion played out in the open versus the live tribal setting. 
I found it satisfying, but also jarring and hard to watch a little bit because of how confrontational it was. And we're used to seeing these things sort of play out in the shadows of the live tribal setting these days. I'm just not sure that there was really room for this to be a live tribal because there were very few variables in terms of what could happen. So I I think that, I don't think it was that they opted not to whisper. I just don't think there was much to whisper about. And also being that there are five, excuse me, six people at the tribal and and it's sort of going to be either we go to rocks or the vote. Again, the variables were just so few that I don't think there was a need to really have it go live. Yeah. Uh, I agree. I also did find it jarring because we're not used to having this kind of an open discussion at tribal council where even alliance members are turning against each other. And I mean, I ate it up. I absolutely loved watching it. And I think it's a great testament to why live tribals should be banned (laughs) again uh, in the rule book because this just adds so much drama and such higher stakes to the game to come because i think we're going to see fallout from this uh you know for the rest of some of these people's games like daniel chanel i think could have a lot to clean up here so uh, i i just i really really enjoyed how this played out okay let's go to another one about uh, tiebreakers. Hi, Sean. Hi, Evan. It's Ian from Florida. Uh, Big fan of the podcast. Um, I was confused with last night's episode in regards to the possibility of them going to a rock draw when Daniel and Hi were the only ones that had votes, but Jeff said that they would be drawing for rocks, which I understand, but why would they allow Chanel and Mike to even weigh on in on the decision if only Daniel and High had votes. I thought it was kind of unfair in a way that why would you have two other people try to influence something when they have no vote in the first place? But why should they be punished in essence for the fact that, you know, it came to a tie and they don't have a vote? I was just really confused. I wish we had seen a rock draw personally because that would have been way more entertaining than what we got. What are your thoughts? I also found it really weird that Jeff didn't give them a time limit like he has normally done in prior seasons when it has come to a rock draw, say in Blood versus Water and in Millennials versus Gen X when he said, all right, that's time. It's been two minutes. If you can't come to a, dis- a consensus in two minutes, you go to rocks. So I was wondering why he didn't even have that rule in place. I just thought it was a little unfair in a way that they got so much time, but I guess that's just the rules. I just wish they had went to a rock draw because I would have been way more entertaining. Well, I, I, I too would have enjoyed a rock draw, but I, I still think this was extremely satisfying and really entertaining. And I didn't, even though, yeah, even though it became obvious that it was going to be Jenny, it took a while until we got there. To your point though, yeah, I mean, I think we sort of covered this in saying that I just think that was too confusing being the being that this was an unprecedented situation and also so early in the game um, that it just became confusing as to how the rules worked, even in the sense that, as you said, Sean, that even Jeff seemed like he wasn't quite sure how things play out. I think the best example of that being the fact that as you mentioned, that the two players had to reveal the fact that they didn't vote, not 
because the show wanted that to happen, but because they needed it to happen in order for the next part of the of the gameplay to happen because of all of the scenarios that it played out. Like even describing it right now, I'm confusing myself. So I think it just was ultimately just kind of uh, a murky situation that needed better uh, better uh, uh, design in the gameplay prior to the tribal. Yeah, and to the point of the discussion, I, d- I do think that they deserve to have a place in the discussion because if they're really taking this seriously that, well, what they lost is their vote. I mean, they're still allowed to strategize at camp. They're still allowed to, uh, you know, control. as Chanel said, you know, I might not have a vote, but I can still control the vote. That's still the case here. And so I think that they do deserve a right to participate in that discussion just as the two targets of the tie are able to participate in the discussion you know I, I like one of the things that i was a little disappointed in was that jenny wasn't making a stronger case for herself that she didn't kind of like turn to high and say look we can do this we can do that we can work together uh, maybe she did and they just didn't show it but you know th- that those people who also have no say whatsoever are also allowed to participate in the discussion i think is fair um i just actually think that i think that everybody should have gotten uh, a say in the unanimous decision I don't know if that works, but yeah, Yeah, I I was okay with the discussion and I'm okay with the discussion going as long as it needs to go. In fact, like if they were there all night until morning, like I would prefer that. Like, I think that's fascinating to to just like, you got all the time in the world to just completely wear somebody down. I guess I'm just not sure how much there is to really discuss. Like again, there's not that many variables for what can play (laughs) out. We're either going to rocks. It's high was very clear in sort of his strategy here or Mike's gonna shift. So yes, it's like even them weighing in, like the power of persuasion, I don't know how effective that really is in this scenario. So I am of the mind that they should have been able to weigh in. Like I I think that they played it right in allowing them to speak, but I also don't think there's like some great influence that comes with the power of being able to speak in that scenario, unless you have a really strong argument in in the sense of you could be like, if you do this, I'll do this. But again, it's so early in the game that there's not a lot of shuffling of the deck that can really happen. Yeah. Uh, Okay. We have another voice memo. I don't know if anybody remembers, but. I have a, I'm not choosing favorites, but in this case I am. I have a favorite voice memo of all time. It was from Mary. She was in the bathtub last season. She compared Ozzy to Silky. uh, And she has sent us another voice memo. We get one a season from Mary. Hello, Sean and Evan. This is Mary. Again, you may remember me from the Ozzy X Silky comparison of last season. Back here to first just drop some negativity about this episode. First of all, you've mentioned the props, the state of the props, that immunity slash beware advantage idol. We can't excuse it. The fact that the immunity idol is this self-filating snake and oh, just a crusty rock that it's sitting on. And then the other people, one person gets the snake and by person, I mean tribe and the other gets the rock. Semi-rock, can't even call it a rock. Inexcusable. The fact that these people are allowed to have swimming shoes when, of course, we hearken back to the days of Pearl Islands when these people were in damn biscuit heel wedges, etc., or nothing at all. The fact that they stopped this challenge is inexcusable. Although it does make me think I feel that way because Jeff is so intolerable and I have to co-sign Ozzy's recommendation of getting Suri into host ASAP. 
Anyway, now that that's off my chest, I have to ask if you were to pie in the sky, dream brand collaborations for this season a la Home Depot and Doritos of days past, what would it be? Mountain Dew Mountain you've mentioned? Anything else? Love the show. Love being able to follow you guys on Instagram at Drop Your Buffs. Everyone, hop aboard. And thank you for everything. Bye. That's at Drop Your Buffs Pod, everybody. <laughs> Mary. <laughs> <laughs> I have to just say once again, Mary, you have a voice for podcasting. My God, I just love hearing your voice or audiobooks. You do audiobooks as well. Okay, my dream brand collaboration. Hmm. I would love to see some skincare get in the mix. You know, I feel like we've done food, we've done mattresses, we've done Home Depot, but there's something to be said about, you know, the the modern living and, and skincare is a big part of the routine here. So I would love to see some sort of, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be, it could be a makeup brand, but also just even, you know, moisturizers, exfoliators, whatnot. I would love to see that. I know there's the Dove. The I soap. think they did like an Herbal Essences one too. Yeah, but that's more hair care. I want <laughs> yeah. skin care. True, true, true. So I'd love that. Um, Especially with do... Highs, uh, High's famous moment from episode one where he's, mm. he's rubbing the mud on his skin and he says, um, I have such Vardis. a- uh, Vardis is a as a uh, toothpaste brand that I really really love. There could okay. be some sort of toothpaste thing. You're getting paid by a... them right now. No, I no, I genuinely <laughs> just love Vardis. Um, Lalabo could be a fun because they have mm-hmm. really great lip balm. So yeah, I I like I like to think about this, but um, I don't. I think it's hard to ever top Doritos, but. Yeah, Doritos is a tough one, and Mountain Dew is a tough one. Hey, I forgot that I said that they should have should have called Chip Wheel. I love the Mountain Dew Mountain, so I'm glad Mary is keeping track because I'm certainly not. Um, I yeah, this is a tough one. I I, uh, I I did crowdsource this a little bit with some friends. I got some good uh, recommendations, like from the um, Immunity Challenge. The waves are brought to you by Splash Mountain. Um, what about that? What's the migraine medication that Whoopi promotes and Khloe Kardashian? Neurotech. Oh, yeah, that sounds you know, right. A medication. There's Advil, a lot of fine like maybe though, like there's time. so much with with med- the medical team, Band-Aid. You know, I feel like there's a lot of tie-ins that they could yeah. do. But the fun stuff was really like how random it was that right. that Tina wanted the Dor- Doritos. Yeah. What about <laughs> um what's that hot dog brand? Um um Myers? No. Oscar Myers. <laughs> Anyway, uh, 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 like the ballpark Franks. I can't remember. Oh, anyway, that yeah. just came to mind. Anyway, um, yeah, it could, yeah, maybe, um, Papa John's. Oh, we don't like Papa John's in 2022. I don't know. That's an interesting question to think about. Yeah, I think there's I a lot of options. Care. I would like Something for people to right send now. in their brand suggestions. Maybe we can. Yeah. This is the new Who's Gonna Play Heather in the movie of her life. Mm. Okay, one more. This one is specifically for Evan. Hi, Sean. Hi, Evan. It's Leah. What an exciting tribal. And another good moment from this episode was Drea getting the the winning shot. Um, loved that for her. After seeing Evan on Watch What Happens Live, I would like to know who from the Bravo universe would be your pick to win Survivor. Oh my gosh. Who from mine I choose to win? Um, 
The person that's coming to mind is Ashley Darby from The Real Housewives of Potomac is someone that I think could absolutely crush it. I'm trying to think of Bravo liberties that like are able to be in a lot of different scenarios and around lots of different people and succeed. So Ashley is definitely one that comes to mind. Um, I do. I mean, it's such an obvious answer, but I do think Kyle Richards would excel um, from Kyle Richards of the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and Halloween Kills fame. And let's give one more. Let's think of a New York girl. Not mm, Bethany would be interesting to see maneuver, but I do think she would rub some people the wrong way, which is not always the worst thing. But let's go with. I'm hmm, I'm not really vibing with the New York girls uh, in terms. Of, I want because I want us to win here. I'm gonna go off New York. I'm traveling over to the OC. I'm not really seeing it. Um, let's go down to Miami and let's throw in Alexia from Miami. I feel like Alexia could succeed. I do think though. This um, current spinoff, the one that Ebony is on, I do feel like there is something to be done with the Housewives Bravo crossover we haven't quite landed at. Anyway, though. Are there any, is there anybody from Bravo on the Beyond the Edge celebrity survivor show? Yeah, Ebony from The Real Housewives of New York. Yeah. But she's a white season housewife. This one I actually knew because of The View. Well... I don't know who any of those people are, but I, uh, I'm i going to take your word for it. This is my biggest cultural blind spot. Is Well, is, let me just throw it to you real quick. If there were to be a View co-host outside of Elizabeth to take on Elizabeth. Survivor, who do you think is going to win? Uh, I think that probably, I mean, it would be the boring people. I think it would be a Sarah Haynes or a Paula Ferris. Definitely I do think that Nicole Wallace would be fascinating to watch on the show. I mean, everybody's dream scenario is to see Rosie O'Donnell play Survivor. And, Absolutely. Uh, I don't think she would last very long. She certainly wouldn't win. I think I think somebody who could win would have to be very low-key. Uh, certainly it's not going to be Joy or Whoopi. They would quit on day one. I actually did this once on uh, the Deja The Views uh, it, uh, Twitter account. Somebody asked, uh, what, who, how each host would do in in Survivor, and I don't remember what I came up with them, but yeah, I'm certainly thinking like a Nicole Wallace, a Sarah Haynes, or a Paula Ferris. Jedediah Bila, I think, could win. I mean, she she's a little kooky now, but um, <laughs> uh, I I do think that she could do quite well. It would be like one of those girls who's like not so comfortable in their fame that they're used to the the luck the life of luxury. That they're not, you know, they could get a little, uh, they could get a little rough. Um, So, yeah, uh, I'm going to think about that some more, though. But, hey, what I really want to see is Elizabeth Hasselbeck back on Survivor. From your lips to Jeff Probst's ears. (laughs) Okay, with that, let's wrap this up. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for your voice memos. And thank you for following Drop Your Buffs pod on Instagram. I will leave the link uh, to that below in the show notes you can continue sending voice memos to uh, me directly or you can send them to the drop your buffs account i will get them either way and uh, let us know what you'd like to see on there do you want to do some like q a's i don't know that i'm promising to go live or anything but like yeah let's make this a little bit of uh, a place to have more survivor discussion take it offline a little bit more we have a very exciting interview coming up, a bucket list interview that you will not want to miss. So I will encourage you once again to subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts to hear that in the coming weeks. 
And of course, we will be back next week to recap episode four of Survivor 42. Ricard and I are continuing to recap Australian Survivor. This week's episode is late because I let Ricard go to Mexico on vacation. I never should have done it because it was the biggest week of Australian Survivor so far this season. But uh, people have been asking, where the hell is that episode? It will be coming. I just don't know when. And uh, so, so, you know, just subscribe and it'll show up when it shows up. You know, this is free. So, <laughs> okay. Uh, with that, thank you so much for listening. Take care. Bye. Bye.